So Joshua, sixth book in the Bible. And again, just on what Mike was saying before in terms of reading the book, um, like the Bible might seem like like a big book and it's really hard to get through. But like I'm a slow reader and I was able to do Joshua in uh, two hours, um, essentially. So it's 120 minutes. You know, if you did that over six days, it's 20 minutes a day. Oh, it's 24 chapters, four chapters a day, and within a week you can finish a whole book in the Bible. Um, and I think it was it was Greg that you were circulating this PDF at one stage. If you're interested, maybe ask Greg after the meeting. Um, there's a PDF um, which goes through... It's a yearly reading plan, and... Um, I've used it a couple of times, and if you use it, you can basically read through the whole Bible in one year. And I think, Mike, you were saying kind of the purpose of this study um, of going through each book in the Bible is to kind of have an overall view of the Bible, and that's one really good tool to um, to use to get that over, overview of the whole Bible, um, is to read the whole Bible. Um, but yeah, maybe speak to Greg if you're interested. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, using maps and things like that will really help you. If you're a visual person like me, it really helps you kind of just place things and um, just kind of get yourself orientated in terms of some of the events that happen in the Bible. Um, and again, I know some of the guys here will say taking notes when you're reading is really helpful um, with your Bible study. Um, and I've just on a kind of from a personal note, I've always used, for example, like a Word document because it makes it easier for me to, you know, I can search things that I've written before and I can hyperlink things together. So that's just, you know, we've got heaps of tools at our, dis at our disposal. So just a bit of encouragement to everyone to kind of just to, to really get into it and not be intimidated by um, studying our Bible. Um, so... Book of Joshua, well, no prizes for guessing who, who wrote it. It was uh, Joshua. And as we mentioned in our last session, that Joshua actually means Jehovah Saviour. And I guess Joshua, in a sense, is, is quite a good picture of the Lord Jesus um, himself. Um, and you really see some, some really nice parallels between Joshua and the time that we're living in today. Um, for example, you know, Joshua is one that comes right after Moses, Moses being the law. Um, you know, he leads the people of Israel to, to victory, and you contrast that to the, to the nations that were around Israel in the land of Canaan at the time. They're always, they knew of God, they knew of the people of Israel, but they're always opposing um, those people. And you can see that the attitude of human beings hasn't really changed in all these thousands of years. Um, Joshua advocates for the people of Israel um, when, when they um, disobey. Um, again, another picture of Christ. Um, and he allots the inheritance to the people of Israel. So um, just going through it, if, if you read the book, just you know, keep some of those things in mind. It's just, I remember, I think it was Donald Hannah once said, you can always see Christ in basically every scripture you read, and it's, it's very true even for the Old Testament. 
the type of book Joshua is. Um, it's a, a more of a historical uh, book. Um, great book, full of, full of stories. You know, you've got espionage, uh, deceit, betrayal. Um, you know, there's, there's battles, there's victories, there's defeats. It's, it's got everything. It's a great read. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's got heaps of miracles in it as well. Um, again, just what, what do you expect from the Bible? Um, the theme of Joshua is um, the possession of the land of Canaan. And then I think the duration is about 30 years from start to finish. Um, I can't remember actually re um, reading about Joshua's age um, when he first became a spy. So I'm, I'm assuming he would have been around 30 or 40. So let's say he was 40 as a spy. He um, goes through the uh, wilderness journey for another 40 years, makes him 80 by the time he enters into the land, and we know that in the end of the book that he dies at 110 years old. So we can say from the start of the book to the end of the book, it's probably about 30 years. So for those who weren't here for the first, or for those who were here for the first session, remember that Mike broke up the Old Testament into kind of 500-year um, allotments, and Joshua's the book of Joshua kind of falls in the second... Um, 500 years, um, right after Moses, obviously, um, about 500 years after Abraham. So we said, I said before that the theme of this book is obviously the possession of the land of Canaan. Um, so, you know, what does that even mean? Basically, if, if we remember in Genesis that God had promised Abraham that he would be him and his seed, as that is, you know, him and his children, they were going to possess the land of Canaan uh, from generation to generation. Yeah, essentially that was the promise that God gave to Abraham. Now, Abraham himself never actually saw that promise fulfilled in his own lifetime. Um, uh, not that Abraham would have cared. He was more interested, I guess, in a heavenly um, inheritance. Um, but God did promise him an earthly inheritance in that he would inherit the land of Canaan in which he kind of lived in that area. You know, As we know, he went from Egypt to Canaan and thereabouts. Um, and then we obviously know that Abraham had a son, Isaac, and um, Isaac was the same, lived in the land, but never really possessed it. There was still a lot of what we call Canaanites in the area, um, at his at his time, and then we hear of um, Jacob, uh, one of Isaac's two sons, and Jacob obviously has twelve sons, and Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, and that's where you get the twelve tribes of Israel. And I just thought I throw that in because I remember when I was little, maybe about Daniel's age or so, I used to always wonder who are these twelve tribes and who is Israel. Um, but, that's where they come from. Twelve children of Jacob, twelve tribes of Israel. Now, at the time that they were alive, um, they weren't exactly a nation. Um, I think when they moved to Egypt during Joseph's time, there were about maybe 70 people. And yeah, you couldn't really call them a nation at that time. You couldn't even call the, the twelve sons tribes at that time. But we know from basically going into Egypt to the time of Moses, was about 500 years, and that's when they become a nation, and that's when God brings them out of 
Egypt, as we had in Exodus, and that's when he obviously leads him across the Red Sea, the wilderness, and then finally into the land, which we get here in, in Joshua. And I guess that kind of just bridges the gap between, I guess, Abraham and Joshua, um, you know, that 500 years. And it's, it's really nice to see that 500 years as well, because, you know, he asked the question, why did God wait so long for fulfilling the promise that he made for Abraham? Um, you know, why were the children of Israel so long in the land of Egypt? Um, a couple of things, like we said, you know, the, the, the children of Israel, they weren't quite a nation yet. They couldn't really possess the land. You know, that was just the family. Um, and God is a patient God. Now, we've seen him, um, you know, intervene in, in human history and bring about judgment. And we read in Genesis 15, verse 16, he says to Abraham, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So the people who lived in the land of Canaan, um, God was being patient with them in wanting them to repent before he poured out his judgment upon them. And he did so with by using the, the nation of Israel. And, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for God to do so. You know, we saw the flood. We saw God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah who were around the same time that Abraham was. So it's not far-fetched to think that God could have, you know, wiped away the Amorites during Abraham's time and given him the land right then and there. Um, but as we know, God is a patient God, not wanting people to to perish, but wanting people to, to repent. And he even does so at the expense of his own people, the children of Israel. You know, they're, they're in, in the land of Egypt for 500 years as slaves. And, you know, God lets them go through that in order to give the people in the land of Canaan a chance to repent. Um, so that's, that's just a really kind of nice thought to have before us. And, you know, although the people in the land didn't repent, save, you know, a few such as Rahab and whatnot, um, the Gibeonites were also saved, but... At the very least, we see the character of God and his patience. Um, and again, so, like I was saying, that kind of ties in the gap between the 500 years between Abraham and Moses and obviously Joshua. And also we'll, throughout the book, we'll see a number of miracles. And again, that's another principle that we see in the Bible as God establishes kind of whether it was establishing the assembly or establishing kind of a new nation in the land of Canaan. God does so with a lot of miracles to kind of show that it's his, it's his divine will. So I just want to give kind of a maybe a two-line summary of each chapter. Sometimes it's more than two lines, but um, just, just kind of a quick overview of the book. So I guess starting in chapter one, we have obviously the passing of the baton from um, Moses to Joshua. And one thing that we really see about Joshua's character in this chapter is his consistency. You know, he's the same person he is in chapter 1 as he is in chapter 24. You know, he's, he's one of those people who his character doesn't really change throughout um, his narrative. You know, if you compare him to someone like Solomon, you know, Solomon started his life good but ended it a bit average. Someone like Jacob started his life a bit average, ended it really well. Whereas Joshua, he started his life 
really well, ended really well. Uh, kind of like Joseph as well. You know, he's that same kind of character, that consistency, a really good type of Christ. Also, Joshua is an interesting person because um, he would have been alive, he would have been born actually in Egypt as a slave. So he would have seen the power of God firsthand. He would have seen the plagues in Egypt. He would have seen the, the Passover lamb, lamb, you know, the death of the firstborn. He would have seen um, God's work in bringing them out of Egypt, you know, the pillar of fire, um, the crossing of the Red Sea. And then he would have seen all the miracles that Moses did as well in the wilderness for 40 years. So he experienced God's power um, and the miracles firsthand. And I guess the impact it had on him was just incredible. You know, he just, he never had a doubt of anything that God ever said. Um, you know, if and not taking away from someone like Moses or even, you know, Gideon that we get in Judges, when God says to him in, in verse 5 of chapter 1, as I, as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. You know, Joshua, he doesn't doubt. He doesn't say like, oh, like I think Ram has mentioned Moses told God no three times. I think it was. He didn't want to go. Um, Gideon, again, is another example. I mean, both great, great men of faith. But, you know, he was a bit hesitant. Whereas Joshua, seeing the power of God and just God tells him, I'm going to be with you. You know, you're basically in command now. And, you know, the next thing he does is prepare the people to cross the Jordan, to go into the land and possess it. There's no hesitation from his part. You know, he just straight away acts. Um, so that's kind of the first chapter. Second chapter, as we all know, is the, the two spies and Rahab. I'm not going to go into too much detail on that. We all know the story. Um, chapter 3, we get the, the crossing of the Jordan on dry ground, and it's during the harvest time where the Jordan overflows its bank. So this huge river, um, God does another miracle, obviously, as he did with the Red Sea in stopping the water and people can cross on dry ground. Um, chapter 4, we get the, the, 12, or the two sets of 12 stones. So 12 stones from the east side of the Jordan were taken and put inside the Jordan, and then 12 stones were taken out of the riverbed of the Jordan and put on the west side. Yeah. Um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but that speaks of death and resurrection. Um, you know, passing through through the Jordan is speaking of, of that, which is, again, I say that there's a lot of parallels between Joshua and the church. This is one of those parallels um, you get here in terms of um, going through death and then coming into the, the, the promised land um, going through the death and resurrection. And that was, like I said, chapter 4. Chapter 5, after we've gone through that, you know, from, from death into life, you have the circumcision of the new generation. So they've come out of death, and I think circumcision speaks to us of cutting off of the flesh, you know, doing away with the things of this world. Um, and it's amazing that, you know, as soon as this happens... God appears before Joshua, and you can you can have that. God can have that fellowship with Joshua. It's in chapter five, verse thirteen, and it says, "And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, 
and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said, Unto him art thou for us, or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and did worship, and said unto him, What says my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for thy place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So, you know, as, as soon as we get this picture of, you know, going from, from death into life, we get this other picture of Joshua standing before God. And, like, well, yeah, that's just a beautiful picture of our situation now. You know, we, if we've accepted the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and again, Joshua's name means Jehovah's Savior, you know, we can stand before God um, in His presence. And it doesn't say what Joshua said to God or what God just said to Joshua, but they were able to have that communication, that fellowship one with another. And again, you know, it's worth mentioning that in this chapter, after they had the circumcision, you know, the, the flesh cut off, you know, you get the Passover is um, held, which is obviously the remembrings, the remembrance of the, the original Passover lamb in the land of Egypt, where the people were slaves, a picture of, you know, them being in death and being brought out of death. Um, through the, the the blood of the lamb, and again, just the parallels between you know this book and um, what we have in the day of grace today. It's just it's like I hadn't seen this before before I read the book. So it's absolutely you know read the Old Testament and you'll see so much um, of God and so much of His dealings with us in the present day. Um, chapter six, quick one. You get the defeat of Jericho. God tells all the people of Israel to give him all the gold and silver, so and the bronze and the iron. So it's all to be consecrated to God. Um, and you know, you know, everything belongs to God anyway. We should give back to God as as we see fit. Um, chapter seven again, another famous story of Achan. He actually disobeys, disobeys God's commandment in the previous chapter, and you can see that his disobedience leads to the, the death of himself, his family, and even others around him. Um, the people of Israel go to attack the city of Ai, or Ai, however you pronounce it, um, and we know that you know, at least 36 men died, you know, that's 36 families affected. So it's just, I guess on a practical sense, it's, our actions can, you know, have a far-reaching effect. Um, it's not always just us. And again, if you see the parallels between the assembly and what we have here in Joshua, you know, um, one man's sin, um, you know, kind of, I guess, polluted the whole assembly. Um, so that was that's chapter seven. Um, chapter eight: Children of Israel are down, but they're not out. Um, you know. Whereas they had defeat before, they have victory now, and God rewards their obedience with letting them take the spoil of the city. So, you know, previously God had asked for the spoil for Himself. Now He's um, giving it to the people. And again, it's just, you know, it, essentially everything that we have is from God anyway. And um, I guess in my personal Christian walk with the Lord. 
just on a kind of on a physical, material kind of basis. I've never felt that I've had any need that hasn't been met by God here. And I think for me, I feel the principle is, you know, you give what is due to God and um, he, he takes care of you. And I've experienced that personally. I'm not sure how others feel about that, but I think yeah, give to God what is his and he, he'll take care of the rest. Um, all these things will be added unto you. Chapter 9 the deception of the Gibeonites. So the Gibeonites were, I guess, a people that were living in the land of Canaan, neighbors of the land of the children of Israel. They made out like they were from a faraway country to make an alliance with Joshua. And this is actually interesting to mention that it's the one time that Joshua kind of makes a mistake and it's the one time it actually... Um, says it in verse 15, oh sorry, in verse 14, and it says that Joshua asked not the counsel of the mouth of the Lord. So just, it's really nice to know that um, in all that we do, we should always ask for counsel from the mouth of the Lord. And even if it's something small like this, and um, it has obviously a, a consequence in that the Gibeonites were never destroyed. They were always there in the land of Canaan, land of Israel, and were always kind of a thorn in their flesh, possibly. And then chapter 10, it's, it's interesting that um, the, the, the people around the land heard that the Gibeonites had made this alliance with the people of Israel, so they decided to destroy them, and Joshua comes and um, saves them. And this is, again, another famous story where Joshua, again, who's seen all the power and the might of God, has no doubt in his mind, and he just he tells God, "Make the sun stand still while I destroy these people." And it's just like, you know, such amazing faith. Like, who can turn around to God and just say, you know, "Keep the sun still while while we have this victory," and even more so, God Himself rains down hail, and I think it's in verse verse eleven, Lord. It said, the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them, and they died. And they were more, more, who, more who died with hailstones than they, of the, than they of whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. So just the power of God again. It's just like, it's incomparable even to what man can do. It's just amazing. And I did have a question on this. Why did Joshua go and fight for the people rather than just leaving them at the mercy of the people around them, given that they deceived him in the early chapter. So if maybe someone can comment on that later. Um, chapter 11, you get a whole bunch of kings um, coming against Joshua. You get, uh, it's, the king is called Jabin, king of Hazor. And again, you just see a picture of the world against Christ. Um, verse 4 says, and they went out, and all their hosts with them, many people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore, in multitude with horses and chariots, very many. Like just, like just in not, like, can't even count the people. There's so many, and it's just basically just a picture of, of you know, just the resistance of God and His way and His will. You know, I guess in this case it's a physical kind of. 
resistance. And you just see the parallels between Joshua and Christ and, you know, the world against Christ. Uh, chapter 12, roster of all the kings that Joshua had defeated. 31 kings you can count. So Joshua is not a lazy guy. Great example for us. We should always be about the work of the Lord. And then chapter 13, you get the inheritance of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So they're the two and a half tribes that saw the land on the west side of the Jordan was really good, and they wanted to live there rather than living with the rest of the 12 tribes. And again, I have a question is, should they really have done that, or should they have moved across the Jordan? Uh, Chapter 14, you get Caleb's inheritance, and and also you get the idea that... um, a lot of the, the the campaign, the military campaign of Joshua probably lasted only, well, at this, to this point, it only lasted about five years. And you can already see he's already conquered 31 kings in five years. So like I said, he's not lazy. He's up and about doing the Lord's work. So that was chapter 15, Inheritance of Judah, down the bottom there. If you look at the map, chapter 16, Inheritance of Ephraim. 17, Inheritance of Manasseh. Chapter 18, you get the tabernacle set up in uh, Shiloh. And then you get the division of the remaining land. And then you get the inheritance of Benjamin. Um, Chapter 19, you get the inheritance of Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. Chapter 20, you get the division of the six cities of refuge, which we spoke about last time. If someone was to kill someone accidentally as manslaughter, they could flee to those cities. Uh, Chapter 21, you get the 48 cities that are given to Levi. So as we know, Levi didn't get an inheritance. Their inheritance was the service of the Lord. Yet, they still needed someone to live, so they got 48 cities. Chapter 22, again, really interesting chapter. Um, The two and a half tribes, so that was uh, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. They're sent home to the west side of the Jordan and they build an altar for a memorial um, which sparks a bit of controversy between them and the other tribes of Israel. And again, it just brings up that question again. Would it have been better for them to move to the other side of the Jordan? Um, I guess we can always discuss that or, you know, in our private meditation. Um, chapter 23, Joshua's warning not to mix with the nations around them. He says, you know, God is the one who blesses and God is also the one who brings judgment. So um, that's where we get that famous verse that we all know. Might as well read it. But as for me and my... Oh, sorry, it's chapter 24. Um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, and that's, again, so moving on to chapter 24, we get a review of the history of Israel and Joshua choosing God, him and his family choosing God. Um, we also get the death of Joshua. Again, like I said, he was 110 when he passed away. Um, also Eliezer, the, the high priest. And we also get a fulfillment of Joseph's wishes to be buried in the land of Canaan. Um, his bones are buried in the land of Canaan. So I guess that's a quickish rundown of the book of Joshua.